All right, welcome back to the podcast. Um, it has been a while, but we are back um, with some exciting topics today, but also with some exciting, exciting topics in the future, hopefully. Um, I'm again uh, pleased to see Mike, um, and it's great to catch up again and talk about a few topics. Uh, we have one or a few, or a few topics today, but uh, first of all, good to see you. How are you doing? I am actually doing very well. I... <laughs> Got a lot of things sorted out in my life over the last couple of weeks. So we can actually talk about that in, a, in one of the next episodes because I, I did a lot of cleaning up in my personal life, which then translates very well into the overall productivity discussion that we usually have. But I'm not fully finished, so I don't want to spoil it. But yeah, doing well. Uh, some work tasks that we got some very good structure into. We just... Not fully finished, but almost finished our newest hiring push. We got a real, like, couple of great people on board. Yeah, and I'm excited. I'm, I'm so like generally in a very good mood. What about you? Also very good. I uh, can't complain. Um, things are progressing. Uh, building new products is fun. I, I mean, I, I, I shared with my team actually a couple of days ago this typical. Um, Paul Graham curve that he shares about uh, the ups and downs of building new products or of course also building a company where um, at the beginning there's lots of excitement and hype and uh, positive uh, engagement but then of course you have phases of iterating experimenting and then you go back to finding product market fit with new products and uh, it's, it's a crazy ride I can imagine like yesterday I felt really bad today I feel great again so it's 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 great to be part of that journey and it feels like um if you can identify kind of how you can move things forward and how you can leverage other people um, and, and work together and collaborate with other people, um, it's just a lot of fun. I, I really love it. That's kind of my, uh, my, yeah, my feedback kind of from the last one and a half weeks. Um, but I have actually a question because we talked about hiring and we also hiring a lot of people at Starman right now. Um, and I would be interested kind of what are your, um, let's say, misconceptions that you had about hiring before that you have more or less found out now after hiring more people and then growing the company? Yeah, I think many of the things that I learned over the last couple of weeks and months were very close to what I expected. So I expected that it was a numbers game. You just need to talk to a lot of people to find people that are really good and then also a good fit for what you're doing. Yep. So that was very close to what I expected. I was a bit confused by the level of, let's say, let's say you want to work, let, let me flip it. Let's say you want to work in an early stage startup and you say that you want to work in an early stage startup. Then some people who actually claimed that they wanted to do that they still had like extremely high expectations of like structure and yeah. like set processes. Like, they, like some people were confused when things didn't have like a fully set up process yet. And these were things where like having a set up process just don't make any sense. So I think the disconnect between what people expect is already finished in an early stage company versus what is actually finished was very, very high. <coughs> Sorry. So I think that was the that was the biggest disconnect for me, and yeah, then generally, uh, I am just so exhausted because I, I can't give our seven minute pitch anymore. 
I, I look to, I look hey, my, my... Mikey, Mikey, you want to pitch what Blair does? Or? No, no, I really, I really don't. <laughs> I, I did it, I think, over 500, at least over 500 times. I started counting at some point uh, over the last, I don't know, like 10 weeks or something. So, like, I had, like, roughly 60 interviews a week, and I always had to, like, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, and it got really boring at some point. And next time I'll probably record a video and just send it in advance. But yeah, no, like to keep it short. I think the disconnect. That would be between... actually, a, that would be a pretty interesting format to just say, you do it similar to our Amazon, for example, structures a meeting that you say, hey, please actually watch like these, these three videos before the hiring interview. And we just talk about some few like structural topics or topics that you're really interested in. Um, could be an interesting kind of test to 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 execute. I'll definitely do it the next time. I think it's so yeah. much more efficient because then we can actually focus on questions or specifics during the interview, and not on the general things that are. Because the, the seven minute pitch doesn't really change, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, there yeah. might be a couple of nuances, but generally it's always the same. So I'll definitely save myself some time and then also some mental <laughs> like pain from like repeating it over and over and over again. Uh, so a, yeah, that, that was it. Point. What about you? What did you learn? Yeah, it's it's. Um, I can totally see that it's a numbers game. We also looked at, I think, hundreds of, of CVs. And I mean, we were hiring in Barcelona, Berlin, uh, like Zurich and, and the US and kind of like try to identify where the best hires are coming from. It's quite interesting how different they are in each country, um, even though, of course, you have very international people living in Barcelona. We saw that, um, let's say, um, at least it was an assumption, in my opinion, that the the the, the quality of marketers is, is higher than kind of, um, for example, product um, is, is is not really a topic that I felt Barcelona is really strong in, but maybe other people have different opinions about it. Um, that was kind of one first insight that I had because I didn't have never hired in, in Barcelona before. Uh, and I was kind Can of I jump in for a second. My personal opinion is that the quality density outside of top tier hubs is really bad. Yes. Like yes. once you leave, once you leave San Francisco, like for for tech things, the quality drops. And then in Europe, once you leave Berlin or London, almost anything else, like the quality density, they're always they're great people everywhere, but the number of people is just so much lower. Like yeah. finding good product people in Barcelona is like finding like real gems. And then Berlin, it's definitely much better, much more people. And then in San Francisco, I, I think the quality density is just so insanely high. Yeah, that's the thing. And and of course, the opportunities are also uh, massive, which kind of gives a disadvantage to hiring in major hubs, but it also gives um, uh, lots of advantages. I fully agree. Um, and of course, yeah, at the same time, Google just can like pay them 300K out of like, I don't know, like two years work experience or whatever. It's so, the same. Yeah, it's the yeah. same thing in Zurich, right? I mean, Facebook is in Zurich. Google is in Zurich. Google actually built, I think, the biggest uh, European um, engineering hub now in Zurich. So of course, all the engineers they can pay, uh, they get they get paid like 80k more compared to <laughs> a startup. So of course, there are some differences. Um, yeah. But that I think that you can also see in the interviews, and I fully agree with what you said before, that people have very different opinions about what they expect working in a startup. Some people want to actually find structure. But then you, you you clarify that when they join a startup or scale up, then not everything is being processed uh, out or not, there's not a process for every kind of single detail in the company. Um, and then you kind of clearly differentiate people that are very willing to build um, to, to build on execution instead of building the processes. And if I find that's something that you just identify when you give them challenges to solve. So we had a challenge that they actually had time for, I think it was 48 hours. And then they need to present like a go-to-market strategy um, for our specific, let's say new products. And you could see that 
Um, 48 hours is still lots of time, but it's also not a lot of time if you have a full-time job. But you could see people that were very, very good in the uncertainty of building such a case study in 48 hours. And you could see people that were completely lost because of the uncertainty, because they didn't have enough information, uh, because they didn't know how Starmind works. And that's kind of, I think, what I felt like you don't want to find people that kind of are lost in the uncertainty. You want to find people that embrace the struggle of the uncertainty, because you know that's exactly what's going to happen when they are in like a real life situation. Um, and that was something that I... I didn't expect as much before, to be honest. Yeah. So did you find a couple of good people? Finally? Yes. Yes, we did. Yeah. Uh, sh shout out That's to them. Um, but I was just very interested in kind of your hiring. Um, uh, and, and another topic that I think we, we, we thought of talking about, and we both have that situation, right? You have people in San Francisco and Berlin. Um, we have people also in New York and in Germany and Zurich. Um, kind of that asynchronous working, especially in a hybrid world. Um, and I thought of kind of sharing a couple of thoughts and discussing it with you, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, synchronous time is expensive um, and uh, asynchronous communication is quite important nowadays. But I felt um, Marty Kagan, a big product leader from the US, he said that the tools we use today, they actually are focused on communication instead of collaboration. And I can fully agree with that. So you need to find ways on finding the right collaboration tools to work together. Um, so my, my first question to you, and I kind of can, can add to that probably, um, like what are the kind of ways or like what are the tools you added because of the hybrid work model right now that you didn't have before? Yeah, so first of all, just some clarification. Yep. I think hybrid work and asynchronous communication is super, super important because if you're physically dislocated, and at separate places, that's already a problem, right? If you have people in like Munich, Zurich, Berlin, and they just don't work in the same office and you need to find ways of getting them together. But where it becomes really difficult is with time zones, right? Mm. So that's like two separate problems in my, at least from my perspective, but that both require good ways of solving them that are both often asynchronous communication. That's, that's how I think about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and then again, I differentiate between how do you get work done? So how is it actually that just everyday work can still be produced? How do you have moments of serendipity? So how do you actually create these sparks? And then lastly, how can you keep company culture? Or how can you build company culture? How can you improve it? And how can you maintain it? So it's a it's a fairly like big cluster in my head of like different problems, like different things to optimize for. And I just wanted to like use it as a caveat before I jump in. So uh, first of all, I think one of the most important things is that you adapt the systems to the external variables because you can only influence the external variables to a degree, right? So to give you an example, if you need asynchronous communication, mechanisms then only using slack probably doesn't work because mm -hmm. slack is mostly built for synchronous communication right yep yep and uh, give me one second my mom is calling me right now so yeah. say I'll hi to your mom decline and call her back call her back immediately after after we finish this. <laughs> and, say hi to your mom it must be important so i i will i will probably and uh, maybe she just wanted to hear uh, how i'm doing but i'll, I'll see afterwards and so yeah, 
basically a couple of tools. I think one of the most important things is having a good system for knowledge management. Yep. Because you want to share what you learn with other people in the company. And often you share it with other people through talking to them, right? If you see them in the office, sometimes it's actively, sometimes it's passively. But if you want to work productively, you need to get the learnings from other people as efficiently as possible. So having mm -hmm. a system in place for that is extremely helpful. And then I think what's very, very important, and we are, we are definitely not perfect in like all of those regards, but what's super important is that meetings are very, very, very well prepared. Yep. Especially if you have different time zones because you don't have that much overlap between the, the different teams, right? So the time where you can meet is super valuable. It's even more valuable than meeting time in general mm -hmm. because you only have a couple of hours per day where you have an overlap. And usually you want to use those for meetings. And then these meetings have to be extremely efficient and effective. So they need to be well prepared. They need to be well communicated. And you need to ensure that you use the time very effectively. Uh, one more thing, and then I would love to hear just, how you just do it. One, one follow-up question to that, actually. Like, um, do you have, a, a, let's say, a strict agenda in the calendar invite? Or is something being sent out before the meeting that everybody has to read through, kind of like Amazon does it? And then you come into the meeting and may basically discuss the, the readings? Or how do you practically execute it? Yeah, we're trying to get closer and closer to that. So we okay. have the rule now that every meeting needs to have an agenda that's shared before. Yep. And we want to give as much context as possible before the meeting so that the meeting is mostly to make decisions, to discuss things and not to relay the facts. And that's also something that I personally, as the CEO, need to get better at because I am I can prepare very deeply for things, but I'm also sometimes a very spontaneous person, as you know, right? Mm. Sometimes like mostly I come into these like podcasts, I have nothing prepared, but I can just talk about things for like hours and hours without having that. But that's yeah. not the most effective way of leading people because other people can't anticipate what's in my mind, right? So I need to lay out my thoughts before so that they can think about it and then we can discuss it in the meeting. So I've And, and my co-founder, David, specifically is forcing me to become better at it and just like writing it down before, sending it out to everyone and not expecting that everyone can always follow me in the moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just something that I need to personally get better at because my specific working style, uh, at least in that specific regard, isn't something that I can just use for everyone else because other people may need some more time to process or just work a bit differently. Yeah, it's a very interesting topic. Um, in general, right, informing people before a meeting starts. I mean, like Andrew Andrew Grove, right, I think the former um, CEO of Intel, right, if I'm not mistaken, he also wrote about uh, the the fact that whenever you have a meeting within like, like even you decide whether a meeting is related to a brainstorming session, a decision meeting, or generally related to um specific processes that you want to discuss i think and I, i i there's also like great blocks about it but i i actually i don't do it every time but sometimes i do it that within the meeting title i even say this is a decision meeting or it's a brainstorming meeting because people come with very different expectations and you can you can look into the description and you can be very decisive about whether a meeting is a brainstorming session or a decision meeting however people come into the meeting and they're still confused And I feel like if you are very, very clear, even in the job, uh, in the title uh, of the meeting, whether it's a, 
um, whether it's a brainstorming or it's a meeting, it already gives people perspectives on what their role is in a meeting. That has helped me a lot. Um, and it's a bit related to what you said, because if people come in and they need to make a decision, they might prepare differently than coming into a brainstorming session. Um, and that's something that I also realized. And then over time, I think what also helped me in that regard is, as, as you also mentioned, right, it, it's sending out documents before. If feel like you can you you can spend five to ten minutes like summarizing your thoughts and then joining letting people join the meeting and you save twenty to thirty minutes in the meeting itself just because people have read and got more information they can look at specific data points and have a very um, clear opinion about what should be decided and I think that's something that. Um, I've learned over time now, actually, specifically in my, in my role now, that people have different contexts and you need to give, the, you are really the responsible person to give them the context in order for them to make good decisions. Exactly. And also different people have different processing times, right? Yeah. There are just some people who really need to like dive into something, think about it a little bit. And another example, like one of my other, like my other co-founder, Costa, he is one of the smartest people I know, but he he's very bad at taking decisions without like thinking about them in advance and having oh, yeah, yeah. the data in position. And if Everybody you give me a data point right now, I can just like use it immediately and then like process it and make a decision, which is not better or worse because I think like his quality of decision is like extremely high, but it's just a different way of like processing information. So I think you need, just need to find a way of like working together that works for everyone. And in this case, it's probably better for me to adapt because this like can be used for almost everyone. Whereas my style particularly is not as adaptable for people who like want to get the information a bit earlier and need a bit more time to process it. Mm. But like you talked about tools, I think, um, which tools specifically are you using? Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of, uh, couple of tools. Of course, we use StarMind internally, right? So whenever somebody has a question, they ask you on StarMind and we use NLP to let people find uh, specific questions and answers they have. So of course, it is our knowledge management uh, tool that we use, but specifically, let's say within um, uh, within let's say if you talk about collaboration, we use um, like I personally use actually it's only my team um, that uses around. I think I talked about it in the podcast before uh, for video communication. I really like it because especially in a hybrid environment where people sit in the office and some people don't, you want to bring everybody in the same room that is in the office. And you don't want, want to let everybody kind of unmute themselves or somebody still has their speaker on and then you have an echo and all that kind of stuff. So they have an intelligent technology that more or less, um, they call it echo terminator, which I really find funny. So you have people in the same room and you can actually communicate all at the same time and everybody can be unmuted um, and still let's say the technology solves the problem of the echo i think that's very smart so we use around for let's say video communication at least in my team and what i often do especially when it comes to giving feedback asynchronous is using loom which is also a very famous startup um, to for example when i when i when i see designs and i need to give some feedback on designs i quickly record a, a quick loom video which is like two to three minutes and i give my personal feedback to the design um, which and then i send it back to the design Designers, so they can look at it when they have time, I can record it when I have time, and they can already use my information to update the designs or make something different. And that is really cool. That has helped a lot and already shortens the meeting times and let's say also very spontaneous meetings that get you out of deep work. Um, that has really helped, that's really helpful. And then of course, um, I thought a lot about kind of the role of the email, right? Um, like when do I use Slack and when do I use email? And I feel like Slack is for me just an overload right now where literally in every channel that you have, you get notified for every interaction. 
and I more or less like I, I stop notifications for a specific time frame, usually in the morning, where I don't, where I try to reduce my my time on Slack, and I use email much more for um, sync asynchronous feedback and asynchronous documentation because in Slack things get lost. People open a message once and then they don't see it anymore or they just forget about it. And in, in email, I have the feeling I can follow up much better uh, because I, I use Superhuman. Um, and I, as soon as, as an email is not actually being read in the first two weeks, uh, in the first two days, and I don't get an answer, I quickly follow up. And that's kind of how I keep people in the loop of giving me feedback on specific topics. Also when I talk to customers. And I think that's kind of where my role of the email became more important, especially after using a service like Superhuman or others that actually help me to keep track of things that I want to keep track of. And it's um, it's been very helpful. Um, and I couldn't compare it also with Gmail or other services that I used before. So these are kind of the tools that I use. And then of course, one of the biggest topics is documents. Um, I completely underestimate the value of documents, quickly summarizing your thoughts, sending it to somebody, getting async feedback, being very specific about how you write documents, become a better writer. Every time you write a document, um, it's been very helpful. And that's kind of, I think, the most important things for me. Very good transition to what I wanted to add is that I think in the next couple of years, the value of becoming a good writer relatively to the value of being a good speaker will significantly shift towards becoming a good writer. I fully agree, yeah. That's such a and, very interesting point, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought about that like fairly recently because back in the day, like usually how stuff worked, I mean, people were writing memos like since forever, right? And memos have been especially important in large corporations and government work, like, they have been super important for a very long time, but especially in early stage teams, usually everyone was at the same place, right? So yeah. like companies that weren't too big, everyone was at the same place. Instantaneous communication was usually how relationships were formed and how decisions were being made. But now that more and more is geographically and then also in terms of time zones, a bit more spread out, writing becomes more like increasingly important which is nice because I like to write, <laughs> but then it's also, it also shifts how people need to think about soft skills. Because when most people think about soft skills, it's usually how to pitch or how to convince someone in a sales negotiation. But I have a feeling that more and more stuff becomes just very much based on conveying information differently via text, mm. via other mediums and that, that's just a random thought that i had over the last couple of weeks that was very I, I think a good fit here and i think becoming a good writer is something that is still very much undervalued by almost everyone yes i yeah, fully agree fully agree and i mean you uh you can say that audio is on the rise too right i mean we talked a lot about audio in the podcast um and being very effective in audio communication when you have a, a quick slack call with somebody but it's a, yes a, but a, a i have a feeling that it's Sorry, go ahead. No, but it serves a different purpose. Um, mm -hmm. Audio communication serves a different purpose. If people can get their point across in a specific time frame, people don't listen anymore. So you still have that. But the role, and I fully agree with that, the role of speaking versus um, writing is a different one. Speaking now is really to make decisions. And if you want to have a brainstorming session, you also need to come, you make your point uh, come across very fast. And a document, like writing documents and writing in general has a different purpose now. Yeah. Actually, very good transition to one of the other topics that I wanted to mention. Yes. Because ahead. one of the best product improvements over the last 
year or so has been Slack audio. Uh, have you used the Slack huddle feature? feature yes, yes. Yeah. Yo, Slack audio calls were one of the worst features I've ever seen in a successful product. Slack audio calls were just abysmal and almost never worked. But <laughs> the huddle feature is really, really, really good. It's just such a step up from what Slack could do before. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so happy every time I can just huddle up with someone. And yeah, I'm very, very happy about that specific feature improvement. And I wanted to drop it in the, in the podcast like, at some point today because it's just such a big improvement to how stuff worked before. And I wanted I to ask if you, if you feel the same. I agree. Um, to be honest, at the beginning, I was very confused what, what the feature should do because it's very similar to all calls, but somehow it's not, right? So you can also have non-video calls uh, just by clicking the call button. But then over time, I realized the effectiveness of it. Um, and I mean, they basically copied a lot of different services, right? You had these kind of sidebar desktop app services like Remotion or, or, or Yak, I think is another one, where you click a button and you, you join a call immediately, basically without any, any barriers. And they just integrated into Slack. Um, I still think it feels a bit... Um, yeah, it's, I, don't think, I don't think it's a perfect flow yet. You still need to open the app the Slack app, you need to go to the person uh, that you want to kind of get in touch with. Then you click the huddle. It, it's still like three, four steps. And from a product perspective, I think it would be nice to even shorten that process and just um, just have a shortcut and say, call Mike and then, or huddle with Mike. And then you jump into the call immediately. I, I still think there's a bit of optimization, um, but that's maybe. Oh yeah, it's very far from being perfect, Yeah, but it's so much better than before because before you could just literally not use it. We were always jumping into Google Meets or whatever to just communicate quickly with someone, which is not how it should work if you have an instantaneous communication app that you're paying money for. I agree. I agree. And by the way, you sound very beautiful now in your little uh, little box there. Uh, oh, does like... it, is, is it sound bad? I no, was, it's I, it's good. It sounds like you are in a spaceship, but it's nice. Okay. But in a good yeah, way. I got I got complaints from the rest of the office that are always speaking too loudly. <laughs> and uh, since they are just in a customer call, I thought that I should prioritize their feelings. And now I'm in a phone box. Awesome. Now I can mean, be as loud as I want. It's it's good to uh, that we keep the listeners, uh, let's say, authentically involved in what we do here. So <laughs> exactly. right. you you get the real deal. We are. <laughs> Uh, like business people, entrepreneurs, whatever first. And then we just share with you our lives as entrepreneurs. And sometimes it means moving from your desk to a phone <laughs> to box. Phone box. Phone box. <laughs> I really don't like them because after 20 minutes, I get way too warm and there's no air anymore. So um... <laughs> yeah, I was, I was removing like a layer of clothing when I was in the phone box earlier, but I'll, 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 I'll stick to that layer of clothing right now. <laughs> uh, no matter how hot it gets in here so that you don't have a, a view you don't want to have okay then we, we, we we're going to expand the the meeting time um <laughs> no but also i think it's very into i would love to kind of dig deeper into that writing topic i know you are very fascinated about it maybe we find somebody that is also very passionate about writing and we can oh i have a i have a great idea for that i already know who we invite for that one okay nice nice okay yeah. perfect let's chat about it afterwards um yeah we can actually do that for the next episode like i i have some 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 very strong opinions and i know that he has as well awesome no perfect let's do that um fits very nicely into kind of the future of work and uh, new ways of working that we often touch upon um 
anything else regarding the async communication otherwise i would say we kind of look wrap it up and talk a bit about kind of final books or news anything that you want to mention that you found exciting yeah i think we could talk about that topic for like much longer but i think the the main i think the main takeaway for me is no one has like fully figured it out at least no one that i know it's a work in process and some people have better solutions than others mm -hmm. but it's just really something that will become increasingly important. And I think there will be tools built in the next couple of years that are specifically purposefully built for this. And there are the first that are on the market, but it will just change the way we need to work. And usually the adaption comes over some time, right? So I, I think there will be some very, very interesting companies that will be built on, on top of that. Yes, I agree. And, and, and please reach out to us, right? If you have something that you're working on, it would be very interesting. I really love the quote from Marty Kagan that tools today focus more on communication and, and, and not collaboration. So if you're working on exciting tools around collaboration, let us know. Um, super happy to take a look at it um, or test it out. Yeah, you're setting me up great for my transitions today because collaboration is one of the, one of the key words I wanted to uh, talk about because one company uh almanac i don't know if you know it they just raised their 34 million dollars series a and what they are doing is they are building a new document editor so basically something like a new microsoft word but for the year 2021 so for example mm -hmm. what they are doing is they have a better version control similar to what github is doing and they just make it much 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 easier to like properly write documents. And I think most of us agree that Microsoft Word is definitely outdated. Yes, <laughs> yes, even Google Docs, no? Used. Even yes. Google Docs, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Google Docs has some improvements, but still, it's just not a fully fledged, you just notice that something is missing, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, crazy, um, it's really exciting. I haven't heard of them. I was just talking to a friend that actually like this whole Word Excel topic is still so outdated. So I'm going to take a look at them. Yeah, I also I, I'm also talking to some other people who are building similar tools in like yep. other areas, and yeah, I think lots of stuff is happening there. I think um, very interesting, cool. and I'm actually very excited about that. There's there's new stuff happening. The next news that I found interesting, mostly from a consumer perspective, is that Amazon is increasing the number of ads they put into the search results. And it has mostly started in the US, but is slowly creeping up to Europe as well. So what, what they are doing is that they allow sponsored posts or more sponsored posts. And when you were using Amazon before, I always found that their search engine gave me like good product recommendations, just based on reviews and like based on some other factors. Obviously, there's some, there was some Amazon SEO involved, but I really, really, really hate it if... <laughs> Only the ones who pay are on top of the search results, which is also why I almost never click on Google ads. Yeah, like when I Google here. stuff, I almost same never here. click on the ads. Only if I want them to pay because I dislike them. Then I always <laughs> click on the ads. <laughs> I'm, so, but, I'm so similar. I do the exact <laughs> same. I, I always use the organic results with rare exceptions, right? Because you can also, especially on Google, you can also cheat your way on top of the Google search results, right? Very good example is Pinterest. And how, mm -hmm. like, it doesn't really matter which image you're looking for. Pinterest is always at the top and screws up many of the results. But yeah, getting back to the actual topic, 
Amazon is allowing more sponsored posts now. The big brands are using it and are outbidding like some of the like good brands or like good companies that are more focused on like e-commerce and Amazon only. And I hope that this trend doesn't continue too much because I I always had the feeling that depending on the product, obviously, but that Amazon had like good product recommendations and not necessarily only the already known brands and products and that I was mm. like finding stuff that is solving my needs and my problems, but not necessarily something that I would have found if I just walked into like a, a standard store. And I think that's, that's something that people need to be aware of that more and more ads are showing up in the Amazon searches. Yeah, very interesting, right? Because I mean, it's not their core business model like Google's um, where they basically earn money through through ads. Amazon more or less adds it on top of their existing revenue streams. Um, very interesting. I haven't noticed it um, particularly, even though I've, I've noticed that they have more ads, but I didn't see that the, the clear strategy behind it, but it makes sense, right? Yeah, I mean, from a business perspective, yes. It will, it will have to be analyzed, right? So... I think if you clutter it too much with it, maybe the experience decreases. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. maybe they have enough network effects by now that it doesn't really matter because which other platform, like what's even the what's even the Bing of e-commerce? I don't even know. Do you know? Like what is the like no. Bing equivalent for Amazon? <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't no think idea. there I don't think there's any of course you have very niche specific uh, like um, markets and again, right? Like Zalando that only focuses on fashion. I mean, yeah, you always have specific stuff, but yeah. there's no at least no. none that in the Western world at least, there's no, no. equivalent. No, I agree. I agree. I, I wouldn't. I mean, it's quite interesting, right? I mean, in, in, in Switzerland, Amazon is not really a player because they don't really allow anything to be sold or shipped here. Um, so they have their own services. Is it, um, is it because of regulation or? Yeah, just... yeah, it's, yeah, it's been mostly because of regulation because they make it very difficult for Amazon to sell here and then they um, it's very expensive. And the prices increase, and then Amazon just doesn't do it anymore. I think that's one of the reasons. I'm not sure of all the reasons, but that's one of them. Um, but so what, who, are, who are people buying stuff from in Switzerland? Yeah, like it's called Digitech. That's one of them where you can buy kind of different. Um, I think they're even in, in in other places in Europe, but they of course centralize all the companies that come from Switzerland. They mostly give them kind of primary access to the market, which is very smart in terms of let's say keeping them in the country but of course it also hinders a bit of the user experience because amazon is still a better product and still has more products that they offer so yeah it's 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 a pro and con got it yeah but i I thought that was interesting then maybe one uh quick note and then i have like a like two two actual announcements to close it off on my end but yeah um there was a very interesting uh, article that came out that analyzed the Epic versus Apple ruling. So there's some conflict between uh, Epic Games and mm. Apple based on the App Store. And uh, currently, I think like Epic Games is blocked on the App Store. And there's some legal proceedings that are going on. But because of them, there were some reports that Apple had to publish to. Uh, just like show uh, some internal data that they wouldn't have otherwise published. I think that's how I understood it. And according to that data, uh, let me, yeah, according to that data, gaming apps accounted for 70% of App Store revenue in in 2017, like Q3 of 2017, like 70%, like seven zero. That's insane. 
that's I knew that it was high, but I didn't know that it was that high. And then also, interestingly, less than 0.5% of Apple accounts made up 53.7% of all App Store billings. What? Okay, that's insane. Who are these people? Who are these people? I, I, I think I have, a, I, I have a hypothesis. And I, I know that since like some friends of mine and then also some, like even some of our investors are from the like online or mobile gaming space. Yeah. And they said that there's always like really, really big power law distribution of like some users just spending like thousands and thousands of dollars in the games, whereas the average person may spend like nothing or just very little. Yeah, so yeah, I think yeah. the assumption is just that some people just spend a shit ton of money on like buying like in-app purchases and like really like literally hundreds and thousands of dollars uh, every single year, insane. which is crazy, right? It's insane. I mean, it never came up. It doesn't come up to the to the surface that much, right? Because in like previous online games that were accessible through the browser, you definitely had, you knew that a lot of also your young people, they have they are quite addicted to to kind of in-app purchases and and kind of use their, their parents' money to to pay for these in-app uh, purchases, which is definitely not very nice. And they were criticized for it a lot, but I've never, I mean, a- Apple itself is not the provider of these apps, right? They just built the marketplace. So it's also very, very difficult to blame them for for it um, and maybe rather blame the, 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 the services of the products, if, especially if it's about young people um, or like people that are below 18. Um, but crazy, I didn't know that. That's, that's quite a lot. Yeah, and I, I found that stat just very, very interesting. And yeah. this is why I wanted to share it. But even it also shows that like the, the gaming space is really big, right? It's growing, especially mobile gaming is growing very, very quickly. But it doesn't really get the same level of attention in the startup space as many other apps, right? No, that's so true. Yeah. The, the two markets... Like of like gaming apps and other apps, they don't really mix that much because it's just a very different way of making money, and it, it's 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 extremely lucrative if you hit mm. it right, right? So yeah. gaming can make you like lots and lots of money, but yeah, I just found that very interesting. Very cool. Thanks for sharing. Um, yeah, it makes me think, right? I mean, maybe we need to bring somebody on. I mean, you know the founders of the Colibri Games, I think there. Um, so maybe it makes sense to kind of involve them and ask them like about the processes and what's kind of going on behind the scenes would be interesting. Yeah, they, they are a good source. We should talk to them at some point and maybe close it off with like two news actually uh, fairly closely to each other. Uh, NFTs still going strong. Uh, yep. Everyone has heard about it. And uh, Depot just raised $250 million. That's the creator of NBA uh, Top Shops. Top shots, yeah. Uh, uh, top shots, yeah. And they are also entering a contract with La Liga, the Spanish, Spanish. Uh, football slash soccer league. Nice. Uh, and that's very interesting. And I'm I'm a big fan of Depa Labs, not because of uh, the NBA stuff, but I think we talked about it before, and I also read an article about it. But they also created Crypto Kitties which oh, I yeah, think yeah. is <laughs> much, much more fun than NBA Top Shots. But just because I think like kitties are pretty cute and then especially crypto kitties, just like, <laughs> insane. <laughs> and it's so I'm funny. not a big basketball fan. So, I mean, I like the game, but I'm not just as deeply involved into it as like many of my friends are. So, Adapalabs raised a, a lot of money, but then also who raised a lot of money and like who raised like just 
so much money is Sorara. And oh, yes, they, yes. Yeah, they yeah. are a French company, and they just raised $680 million as a Series B, biggest Series B ever. In Europe, in, right? In Europe, in Europe, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, in yeah, Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what they're doing is like NFT-based, like trading, like fantasy football or soccer based on NFTs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they also have like some agreements with like Real Madrid, Liverpool, Juve. So like lots of like prominent clubs and they're also launching in the US very soon. So apparently they will use the money to internationalize. So yeah, NFT market still going strong and uh, definitely like lots of money flowing into the market. Yeah, and lots of, uh, actually quite interesting, lots of European investors involved also. I think in Sorara, I think uh, um, even, or formerly eVentures, I think they have a new name now. Uh, they were involved very early on. So uh, you can see that um, European investors were also involved, which is nice to see. It I mean, form. it's a French startup, right? So it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. And I think, like, let's see who, who led the rounds. I actually don't know. I think it was both with both, like some hedge fund. Probably, um, yes. Was it SoftBank? SoftBank, no. SoftBank Vision yeah. Fund for Sorara, yeah. apparently. Okay, yeah. And then who led the round for Depa? Ah, uh, to I don't. I didn't even. How do you? How do you pronounce it? Uh, like the hedge fund that's uh, run by the ex Tiger Global people. Ah, okay, interesting. Okay. People nice. probably know who I mean, but I've I've actually never heard. Like I, I've spoken to like five different people, and five different people pronounce it differently. So I don't know. It's spelled C O A T U E management, and they have more than fifty billion dollars in assets, and they are have just invested in Depo Labs. Good, uh, good synergy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good for me. I think you have a couple of book recommendations you wanted to share. Uh, yeah, no, just, um, just, just, uh, just one. Um, when I was on vacation, I read uh, brief answers to um, big questions. I think that's what it is. Stephen Hawking's um, very interesting. I think for everybody that wants to kind of uh, get a zoom out about the daily life, he talks a lot about why we need to um, colonize space and, um, and 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 many other different topics that I found very interesting. Um, I can share a summary maybe later um, in another podcast, but uh, it was very interesting to get Stephen Hawking's perspective on how. How physics plays a role in um, in in kind of us living on planet Earth and how it actually evolved and how we as humans arrived where we are right now and I think he is it's kind of a short very very short version of some of the topics that are mentioned in Homo sapiens and Homo Deus from the Harari um, so if somebody wants to get a quick read I think it's like 220 pages or something then I can definitely recommend it um, good good recommendation um, really liked reading it and of course Stephen Hawking is dead now and he's still a legend in the physics space and uh, brought a lot of new ideas and inventions to the market. So a very interesting person that you can grab by just reading the book and uh, understand his thoughts. So uh, that's a recommendation from my side. Yeah, so many interesting things to learn about. Physics is actually one of the things I, I really enjoy reading about just because it, it like, at least theoretically explains the fundamental laws of the universe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very, very interesting and can also get very philosophical, which like Stephen Hawking sometimes does and then also yeah. some others. Yeah, and it's, that's I think that that's where the magic appears, right? If it's only about physics, let's say general society might not be very interested, but if it combines with philosophy and kind of um, us as human beings, then it, it, it gets more interesting for people also to read it. So that's, a, I think, a recommendation that is also... Um, 
readable for a lot of people, even though it, it covers some physical, uh, like uh, the physics topics also from Einstein and, uh, and others, but it's still, it's still doable. Um, no, but that's it, uh, unless you have anything else. No, I mean, I could talk for hours. Yes, and, it's fun. <laughs> but I think that that were the, the things I wanted to mention today. Next episode, we'll have a guest. Uh, potentially, we will talk about writing. Uh, let's see. And I'm looking forward to it already. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Uh, thanks for the session. It was fun again seeing you. Uh, have a good rest of your day. You too.